Good morning. I'd like to continue on from yesterday. I'd like to be a little more specific about hindrances, about awakening factors. I think um, you'll agree with me that it's good and inspiring to hear that we should go about uh, doing these awakening factors and doing away with these hindrances. But uh, it's nice to be a little more specific about this, isn't it? And sometimes one wishes that our support and guidance from the tradition is not just the noble advice to do that and not to do that, but actually to be told a little bit more uh, in detail how to do that. And uh, rather than making a, a kind of verbose and apologetic attempt to defend the suttas on this, I thought I'd let the suttas defend themselves a little bit this morning and thought of reading you a couple of things on these topics. Does anybody know how the light works here? I would appreciate some more light. The reading lamp has disappeared. Thank you, Brian. So this is basically <clears throat> from <clears throat> the um, connected Discourses of the Buddha, it is from the 46th of the Samyuttas of the groups. Uh, this is the group on the awakening factors. And if you manage to hang in there for the first 1600 pages, then you will find the following treasures. So this is about, um, the first one is about the specificity of which awakening factor to apply and it speaks of the text is called fire and it is organized around a simile of a fire suppose monks a man wants to make a small fire flare up if he throws wet grass wet cow dung and wet timber into it sprays it with water and scatters soil over it would he be able to make that small fire flare up? No, venerable sir. So too, monks, on the occasion when the mind becomes sluggish, it is untimely to develop the awakening factor of tranquility, the awakening factor of calm, and the awakening factor of equanimity. For what reason? Because the mind is sluggish and it is difficult to arouse it with those three factors namely um, Pasati, Samadhi and Upeka. So we're quite clearly told if the mind is sluggish, this is not the moment to try to get more concentrated, to try to get more still, and particularly not the moment to try to get more equanimous, as I tried to insinuate yesterday, that equanimity is treasured a virtue as it is. There are things which are not we are not supposed to be equanimous about. One of them is sluggishness of the mind. So this is, I think, very clear. Then we are told <clears throat> for that uh, at the moment when the mind is sluggish, 
And it is in some ways reassuring that the Buddha seems to be familiar with that condition. So it uh, does not seem to be a, a feature of 21st century mind. So sluggishness of mind was obviously um, quite well known in the days of the Buddha. The term actually is um, lina, which means uh, a number of things. Shrunk is one of them. Shy. Um, and reserved, you know, so kind of reticent, shrunk, and sluggish. This is an interesting condition, isn't it? That covers quite a few states. Some of our states are not actually, strictly speaking, lethargic, but still the mind is, is somehow shy to engage with something, or reticent to take up something, or does not yield itself. So you have to you have to psychologize this term a little bit into into your own language of a mind that somehow does not apply itself, that does not become malleable, that does its own little passive aggressive number on you. Yeah. So this is all in there. The shyness, the reticent, the shrunkenness, the sluggishness, this is all in there. So what is then useful? Um, suppose monks, a man wants to make a small fire flare up. If he throws in dry grass, dry cow dung and dry timber onto it, blows on it and does not scatter soil over it, would he be able to make that small fire flare up? Yes, yes sir. So two monks. On the occasion when the mind becomes sluggish, it is timely to develop the awakening factor of discernment of states, tamavijaya, the awakening factor of energy, virya, and the awakening factor of rapture, piti. For what reason? Because the mind is sluggish, because and it is easy to arouse it with those things. Then we have the excited mind. Again, the fire image, uh, you know, throwing the wrong things onto it. And then he says, no, no, no. Uh, on the occasion, monks, when the mind becomes excited, it is untimely to develop the awakening factor of discernment of states, the awakening factor of energy, and the awakening factor of rapture. For what reason? Because the mind is excited, monks, and it is difficult to calm it down with those things. So, what are the timely factors then? The timely factors for an excited mind are the developing of stillness, the developing of samadhi, of calm, and the development of equanimity. For what reasons? Because the mind, when the mind is excited, it is easy to calm it down with those things. I think that is quite a useful piece of advice. Obviously, all this hinges on our capacity to discern what type of uh, mind we are uh, experiencing. Then we have further details. Uh, this is a section called the nutriments for the hindrances. And what, monks, is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen sensual desire and for the increase and expansion of arisen sensual desire? There is, monks, the sign of the beautiful. The term is nimitta, a term with many meanings. In this, in, this mean, in this context, it simply means the characteristic of the beautiful. 
something that is beautiful. Yeah? So the, the giving careless and frequent attention to that which is beautiful is the, the nutriment for the arising of unarisen sensual desire and the increase and the expansion of already arisen sensual desire. That is fairly sobering, isn't it? So we are basically settled with a mind that has attentional patterns that continually seek pleasant experience. Some of that pleasant experience is directly due to the fact that we perceive things to be beautiful. And we are told by seeking out what we are settled with as an inclination of mind, namely seeking pleasant, and some of the pleasant will be due to beautiful stuff. If we give the beautiful ayoniso uh, manasikara attention, in other words, careless attention or attention that is inappropriate, then we are settled with the sense desire as a result. That is quite sobering, it's quite stark. So if you basically get what you want, if you get the pleasant stuff, if you get the pretty stuff, if you manage to surround yourself with the things you'd like, to, which you enjoy and find pleasing, then what you cultivate is not just the pleasant mind state as a result of associating with these things, you also cultivate desire. This is quite sobering and quite stark, and I think it's necessary to be very um, clear about this. So as long as you get what you want and feel good, because you get what you want, uh, you also cultivate part of the trouble, namely an increase of sense desire. Every time you refine your mind in the culture of some exquisite enjoyment, you also cult cultivate on the sidelines desire, future desire, not yet arisen. Current desire is being quenched and satiated and leaves you with the gratified sense of surrounding yourself with lovely stuff, but your refinement will kick back in terms of an increased proclivity for future desire. And obviously you set yourself up for possible uh, disappointments and the many things that can go wrong with even getting your desires fulfilled. Uh, the bad news continues. And what marks is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen ill will and for the increase and expansion of arisen ill will? That's the second of the uh, hindrances. There is the sign of the repulsive. Frequently giving careless attention to, the, to it is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen ill will and for the increase and expansion of arisen ill will. So the same holds true, not just for beautiful things, but even for, for repulsive things. Our aversion, our attentional faculty. So if you have developed a trouble mind, I have developed a trouble mind. I have taken years to convert my poor mind to, uh, from basically dissidence, opposition, and fighting against things that are not good and fighting for things that are good. That's what I spent most of my teens doing, generating energy against something. And it's taken me years to convert his mind to actually develop energy in favor of things rather than against things which I had deemed to be bad or politically not correct or unjust. So the associate, association of 
careless attention with things that are repulsive, either morally repulsive or aesthetically repulsive or socially repulsive or you know, physiologically repulsive, the association of careless attention with frequent repulsive experiences brings about aversion, brings about the second of the hindrances. I think that also is quite necessary to acknowledge. There's a saying in German, which I don't know how to translate, but it goes something like, even kindly friendship with dwarfs will bend your spine. Yeah? So, so acknowledging, even if you're not a dwarf, but if you keep happening to be living around dwarfs, and even if your relationships with them are kindly, basically you end up with a bent back. Uh, so, um, I think the metaphor is simple. It is, even if we, for good reason, fight, fight difficult things, it, it, it's going to harden our skin. It's going to toughen our, our perception. It's going to dull our senses in ways. The key term in there, again, is not having to do with repulsive things at all, but having to do with repulsive things, with careless attention, with ayoniso, with unwise or inappropriate attention. Uh, inappropriate attention is a, um, basically one of the main nutriments for the arising of ignorance and as such for the arising of pain. And it gives rise to just about the whole uh, can of worms of anything that we uh, wish to free ourselves from careless or inappropriate attention, ayoniso manasikara. It's opposite yoniso, wise or profound or methodical or skillful attention, uh, is very salubrious. So uh, do not forget, it's not just the dealing with pleasant things or beautiful things and the dealing with unpleasant or repulsive things that is the key for the arising of then sense desire or aversion, but it is the carelessness of the way in which we associate with those. What is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen sloth and torpor? There are monks, discontent, lethargy, lazy stretching, drowsiness after meals, slug sluggishness of mice, frequently giving careless attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen sloth and torpor and for the increase and expansion of sloth and torpor. I think that's fairly straightforward, isn't it? The arising of unarisen restlessness and remorse. What is it? There is, monks, unsettledness of mind, frequently giving careless attention to. Yeah, that seems a bit flat, isn't it? It doesn't tell us very much. So I can understand that the commentary what in, in what to comes has a lot to say. Uh, we go to the last one. Nutriment for the arising of unarisen doubt. There are things because that are the basis for doubt. Frequently giving careless attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of unarisen doubt and for the increase and expansion of arisen doubt. In other words, we're not really given a clear object here. We're just given an, a, a clarity that careless attention, that ayonisomonasikara, is one of the reasons why doubt occurs. And then we have the nutriments for the enlightenment factors. That is getting interesting yeah. So, the first one. 
nutriment for the arising of unarisen awakening factor of mindfulness unto fulfillment or by development of the arisen awakening factor of mindfulness. There are things that are the basis for the awakening factor of mind mindfulness. Frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen and awakening factor of mindfulness and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen awakening factor of mindfulness. Then, this is an interesting piece, you'll see the commentary was unhappy with that statement because the statement doesn't really specify much. So the commentary, a couple of hundred years later, but you have to understand that these commentaries, they came about, uh, they were, these texts were all interpreted, as I do, that, as I do interpret the text now. Uh, the people in the early days will have interpret, interpreted such teachings. They will have embedded them, uh, they will have remembered things, and then they will have interpreted these remembered pieces. And um, this is a tradition that has been a few hundred years later, finally written up and has uh, coalesced into what we now know, the first layer of commentaries. This commentary, its uh, name is Sarata Bakasini, the, uh, the core, the core meaning, the, uh, Elucidation of core meaning, yeah? That would be a translation of that term. So the commentary adds to this somewhat flat statement that there are such things that bring mindfulness about. He says, besides this, there are four other conditions for the arising of mindfulness. He says, mindfulness as a continued activity throughout the day. Secondly, the avoiding of unmindful people thirdly, associating with mindful people, and fourthly, right resolution, a resolution of mind that slants and slopes and inclines towards the wish to establish mindfulness. So you have no reason to not to do that here. You, know, you have plenty of good company here. There's lots of mindful, mindful folks around, and the unmindful folks, they don't even get in here. Yeah. So, then, the arising, the nutriment, the arising of the awakening factor for discernment of states, Dhammavidjaya, what is it? There are amongst wholesome and unwholesome states, blameless and blamable states, inferior and superior states, dark and bright states with their counterparts, frequently giving careful attention to them as the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen and awakening factor of discernment of states. Now, that is clear, that is interesting. He says, you know, we. We clearly need to know what's going on in here. We need to have some tools to discern, even um, be able to distinguish differing inequalities. Mentioned here is bright and dark, inferior, superior, blameless and blameworthy, wholesome and unwholesome. The commentary still doesn't seem happy, and he had adds seven other conditions. It's get, it gets worse, just to keep bearing with me. Seven other conditions for the arising of the growth in Dhammavijaya, in the discernment of states. So what are these seven conditions? The first one is interrogation. So Self-interrogation. About the meaning of the aggregates, elements, and spaces. In other words, learning to ask questions to one's own mind. Ask one's own mind questions about its own climate, its weather, 
and trying to frame some of the experiences this mind makes in terms of uh, Buddhist categories of psychology. Here mentioned are the aggregates, the khandhas, the elements, the datus, the sense bases, the ayatanas. Yeah. Then the second reason for the arising of discernment is personal cleanliness. That is very practical. <laughs> balancing of the faculties. Yeah. The f balancing of the faculties. These are the indriyas. Yeah, this is um, faith, energy, mindfulness, then stillness, samadhi, and wisdom. The balancing of these five faculties. Maybe I say something a little more about this tonight. The third reason, or the fourth, is reflecting on the sphere of deep knowledge. That's an interesting one. So, reflecting on the fact that there is an understanding that is transcending one's current understanding. Yeah. In other words, we are asked to recall how we relate to the bits we haven't understood yet. Yeah. What is my relationship to that which I have not understood yet? Do I deny its existence and pretend I basically know everything that there is to know? Do I deny its value? Yeah, there is stuff, but this is not really relevant for me. Uh, do I deny my own capacity to be able to actually learn something? Yeah, 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 there is, you know, there's a lot of this stuff, but basically I'm, I'm just not cut out for this side of thing. Sadly, I have to just plug away in my unenlightened furrows and, you know, yeah, there may be more intelligent people than me. You know, what is my relationship to the stuff that I have not yet understood, that I have not yet uh, realized? That's an interesting point, yeah. Then, um, reflecting on the need to honor the gifts of arms. So, this is for a monk and for a nun. So, these people are living of the gifts of arms. You people <clears throat> are not monks and nuns, but you're living on in conditions that other people have created for you. Other people have made this possible. Other people have put in time, energies, their generosity into this. So, you are being asked to basically consider your effort and your discernment also by reflecting on the goodness you have access to and that reflecting on this goodness gives you energy to move on, to practice, to dedicate yourself to. Reflecting on the greatness of the heritage of the master, of the lineage and of one's fellow practitioners. Finally, avoiding lazy people, associating with energetic people and right resolution. Interesting, isn't it? So it goes on. What is the uh, nutriment for the arising of honorism factor of energy? So how do we get about virya? Then again we are told careful attention to uh, those apparent elements that bring about exertion. The commentary still is not happy and now has 11 points to add. Reflecting on the fearfulness of the plane of misery seeing the benefits in the arousal of energy, reflecting that one is following the path taken by all Buddhas, and then similarly reflecting to need to honor the gifts of arms, the greatness of the heritage, and again avoiding lazy and careless people, 
associating with wise and energetic people and right resolution. Nutriment for the arising of unarisen awakening factor of rapture, of piti. Again, the um, description here is bland, frequently giving careful attention to, to the factors that bring about rapture. The commentary still is not happy, has another 11 conditions. Recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, virtue, generosity, reflection on the devas, reflection on peace. Then the recommendation to avoid coarse people, to associate with refined people, reflecting on inspiring suttas, and guess what? Right resolution. What gives rise to samadhi, the awakening factor of stillness? There are because tranquility, uh, sorry, pasadi, where I've jumped one. There are factors that bring about the tranquility of body and the tranquility of mind, frequently giving careful attention to them, will bring about the awakening factor of tranquility. We have, it goes down now, we have seven conditions that bring about the awakening factor of stillness. One of them is nutritious food, so no complaints on that front, congenial climate, the right posture, effort at neutrality, that is an interesting one, then predictably avoiding restless people, associating with calm people and right resolution. Now this is all very practical, isn't it? If you're interested in stillness, you know, make sure that the physical around the surroundings is good, make sure that your food is good, make sure that your posture and physical well-being is good, and then effort at neutrality. So rather than getting more of a kick out or getting indignant about things, you're trying to actually level the mind. You're trying to make the mind equanimous, neutral. Avoiding restless people, associating with calm people, and resolution seems to be uh, the baseline here. Samadhi, bringing about the arising of the unarisen awakening factor of samadhi. There are, because the sign of serenity the sign of non-dispersal. This is interesting. So if we're interested in taking the stillness of pasadi to the depth of samadhi, uh, the element of, you would expect, power, control, effort coming in here, but instead you have what comes in here is serenity and non-dispersal. Yeah. Frequently giving careful attention to them as the nutriment for the arising of the awakening factor of samadhi. Our commentary has to say 10 points. Um, point one, again, personal cleanliness. Point two, balancing of the five indriyas. Point three, skill in the sign. In other words, um, familiarity and dexterity in being with a meditation object. Yeah. Understanding the dynamics of your meditation object and being skillful in engaging with it. That starts off somewhere with curiosity and ends up with the fine-tuning of your stillness, of using just the right amount of will to not vex and agitate the mind and yet to deepen its in inherent tendency to become still. Then, next point, exerting, restraining and gladdening the mind at the right time for each. Yeah. 
interesting point, exerting, restraining and gladdening the mind. There is an acknowledgement here that it is not always the time to exert and it is not always the time to restrain and it is not always the time to gladden. Yeah. There are different times for each of these and all of these seem to be needed. Yeah. I think that is a very p good piece of advice. Finally, point seven, looking on with equanimity at the right time. Yeah. So again, this is a deepening of that new neutralizing technique before. Yeah. Rather than just encouraging the neutral, now we're actually trying to make, um, to even things out. Looking on with equanimity. Developing upeka at the right time, avoiding unconcentrated people, associating with concentrated people, and right resolution. The last one, what monks is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen factor of equanimity, for the fulfillment by development of the unarisen for, of the arisen awakening factor of equanimity. Then, rather blandly, there are amongst things that are the basis for the awakening factor of equanimity, frequently giving careful attention to them, and so forth and so forth. The commentary, again, does not seem happy and gives us five conditions. A detached attitude towards beings. Now, that is an interesting one. Detached attitude towards beings as a basis for equanimity. Yeah. Uh, this is important, you know. Often these Brahma-viharas and Brahma equanimity obviously is one of them, sounds like they are states. But it is important to recall primarily and above all, these are not states, these are intentions. Yeah. I intend to be friendly. It's not about having friendly emotion. Wonderful if you have friendly emotions. I wish you have friendly emotions. It's healing to have friendly emotions. But as a practice, you can't just make emotions. And if you can't make emotion, it just feels like I'm faking it, or it's not happening, or this isn't for me. How can I practice an emotion? And this here points very clearly to the fact that you don't actually practice an emotion. You practice an intention. You intend detachment. You intend a detached attitude towards beings. Then secondly, to, towards formations, in other words, inanimate objects. You avoid possessive people. Uh, possessive people are here to be feared. And you're looking for equanimous people. And finally, you resolve right resolution. So, I think these are some interesting points. Um, I'll write you the reference on the board. And one of these books could be found in the library if you want to read up or make a note for after the retreat. Thanks for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.